Welcome to the 313 Men, Money, and Marriage podcast, where facts, logic, and reasoning are at the forefront of every conversation. I am your host, Andrew Johnson, and in this particular episode, we're going to discuss money and emotions and the impact that it has on relationships. So sit back, relax, and enjoy as we delve into this issue. Welcome back to the 313 Men, Money, and Marriage podcast. Like I said earlier, I'm your host, Andrew Johnson. Today, we are talking about money and emotions and the impacts that it has on relationships. Today, we are very, very fortunate. This is our very first guest that we have in studio sitting alongside me. Uh, It's a longtime friend of mine. We've been friends for well over 12 years. Everybody, can you put your hands together for Mr. Robert Barkley? Good evening, everyone. All right, Mr. Barkley, since we're talking about money and marriage and the title of the podcast is uh, Impact on Relationships, but money has on impact on relationships. How long have you been married, sir? Uh, 35 years. All right, I'm assuming that it's been a very uh, pleasant experience for you. Uh, Yes, sir. All right. Now, Mr. Barkley is sitting in because he's thinking about starting a podcast of his own. So he wanted to see how the process works. So I told him to just stop by and you can come by when we're doing a recording. And so that's what we're doing here. So Mr. Barkley is just going to sit back and observe. And like I said, he is the very first guest. So if this thing ever takes off, he can always have that added to his pedigree that he was the very first guest of the 313 Men, Money, and Marriage podcast. Is that all right with you, sir? Yes, sir. All right. I appreciate it, Mr. Barkley. Now, we're going to go into some of these topics here. Now, one thing I want to share with people is some of these numbers and stuff that I found, I was kind of surprised by them. But then again, I'm kind of not surprised by them because this is a reflection of of where we're at in the the country. For instance, I just found this out not too long ago. 45% of all Americans don't have any savings at all, meaning they have zero. And a little more than half of all Americans cannot afford a $1,000 repair on something if something broke down or uh, was destroyed and they had to replace it. So obviously... There isn't any financial literacy classes that we take in K through 12. And a lot of people just don't know about these issues. And personally, I think that some of this stuff should be taught in our school system. For instance, in K through 12 and in college, maybe we should have some type of a financial literacy course. There should be something that maybe is federally funded that helps with a financial literacy. So we don't have people in these situations. Now, one of the ironic things here is we are often under the impression that Americans, we make a, a very high salary and we live a very high standard of living. And for the most part, that is true. However, some of the numbers I want to talk about today are going to be somewhat surprising. For instance, the median income for a woman or women as a whole is anywhere between forty-five dollars and $51,000 a year. That's the median. And for a man, it's a little bit higher. It's anywhere between fifty-five and $61,000 a year. So it is a little bit higher, but as you see, most people aren't making the big $100,000 salaries that everyone thinks that people make. Uh, I don't have to tell you that most of the time when we're talking about money, people exaggerate how much they actually earn, and that is true. But for the most part, those are the median averages. So that's right around in the middle area there. Now, 
the next number I want to talk about is how much people are making in the top 20%. So only 20% of the U.S. population earns $75,000 a year or more. Only 13% earn $90,000 a year or more. And less than 10% earn over $100,000 a year. So oftentimes I'll hear people, women and men sometimes for this matter, say that they want someone who is a high earner, someone making $100,000 a year. And I basically tell them, like I tell anybody else, is that most people do not make that kind of money. So you're only going to be looking at the top 10% of wage earners in the country. So if everybody is chasing after the top wage earners in the country, there's only going to be 10% of them. So a good example would be if I took five women and I had one guy earning $100,000, he can only marry one of those five women. So that would leave four women who are still single. So the point of that, that making that, that, that point there was people don't make as much money as you think, and they just aren't that many. So if you can find someone making a reasonable salary, uh, your salary should not be a reason, I guess, to not marry someone, especially if they are strong, resilient, and displayed the four pillars of manhood, which I discussed in the first episode. If you listen to that first episode, you could hear what the four pillars of manhood are. If they're displaying those traits, eventually they'll probably start to make more anyway, even if they started at a lower wage. Now, when you first get married or you decide you want to get married, most of the time you're not going to be making anywhere near the amount of money that you would make as you get older or you're getting closer to retirement or you're, you've been in a situation where you've been on the job for, say, more than a decade. Generally, the longer you're on the job, the more money you make because your skill set improves, as we talked about in the last episode. But what is the main cause of some of the financial strifes in marriages? And some people will say one person likes to spend while the other person likes to save. I don't know exactly how true that is, but what I can tell you is that when people do have financial struggles, a lot of it just depends on they usually are ending in a position where they owe more than they're bringing in. So their standard of life, their standard of living is much higher than what they are earning. Now, in a book that I read called The Wealth Choice by Dennis Kimbrough, it talks about how money is the greatest measurement of your mindset. And wealth is a matter of circumstance and more than it is a matter of knowledge of, of a knowledge in a, a choice. And one of the things I realized in that book when I was looking through it is a lot of decisions that we make based on money are more for personal things that sort of inflate our egos. So an example would be we might buy a car that's sort of very expensive, but we don't own a home. So I, someone might spend fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars on a really nice car, but they're renting. So their net worth as a whole is really lower versus if they had bought property, their net worth is somewhat tied into the house and what they have saved, where a car is depreciating in value. Now, on the outside, a person who's driving a nice, fancy car is looking like they kind of have it together and they look like maybe a $100,000 earner. But in a lot of situations, they're really not. One of the surprising things I found out is that most millionaires who live in homes do not live in million-dollar homes. They live in homes that cost a lot less than that. 
most of the people who live in million dollar homes are not millionaires. So that's a strange dichotomy there, I guess. And so as we go through that, you'll see that millionaires tend to be a little bit more uh, frugal in how they spend their money and what they actually save. Now, one question that popped up with someone asked me when I was telling them I was thinking about doing an episode on this particular topic was, should you get married to someone if the other person has a lot of debt prior to the marriage? So should you get involved with someone or get married to someone who has a whole lot of debt? Now, when we're saying a whole lot of debt, I'm basically going to say maybe thirty dollars to $40,000 in debt. Uh, that, that that's what I'm saying. It's sort of a lot of debt. So I don't really, I would suggest no. Uh, I would try and at least have them pay down some of that debt before they come into the marriage because you don't want to start your marriage off in a situation to where you owe a whole bunch of money because that can put a strain on the relationship itself. Usually, you know, once you get married and you come back from the honeymoon and the next thing you're going to have to deal with is tackle this debt. You're going to start working and have to work longer hours and do all different types of things to kind of get it under control where if we can take care of some of that stuff earlier or maybe before we get married, that'll lighten the load a little bit and you can focus on the things that's important, such as, you know, maybe having a child or getting a home or something to that effect that'll make things a little bit easier. So I'm going to ask Mr. Barkley here real quick. What do you think about that, Mr. Barker? Do you think that someone who owes a whole lot of money should maybe try and pay down their, some of their debt before they get married or pay it all down? Or you think it's okay to maybe go into the marriage uh, with that kind of a debt load? I think uh, they should definitely pay that debt down uh, based on the relationship because sometimes relationships uh, can falter a little due to that. So I think paying the debt down would definitely help. All right. So I, I, I agree with Mr. Barkley on that. I think paying down the debt is a, a, a good starting point because the one thing you don't want to have is the debt hanging around for, for several years that you have to take care of. And it just makes it a little bit more harder to get the marriage up and running and getting it started. So with that being the case, uh, we, re- we would both, me and myself and Mr. Barkley, both agree that you should uh, try and take care of that. Uh, other questions that might have might pop up when it comes to money is joint checking accounts. Should you have a joint checking account or should you keep everything separate? And, and with that being the case, I would tend to say each, each person is different and each, each situation is different. So example would be some people function better when they have separate accounts meaning certain money is coming out of this account and another account may be different where some other money is coming out of a different account. In our situation, I would think sometimes it's best to have it separate. If the two people are really responsible, I think it's easy to do joint checking accounts. If some people, uh, the best way I can describe it would be if some people are much more frugal with their checking account so they might have something where they track every single purchase that's made and the other person doesn't i'm one of the people who doesn't so joint checking accounts is kind of tough for me because i'm not as uh, thorough as my wife is pertaining to that what do you think about that mr barkley 
I, I definitely have to agree with you. Uh, uh, I'm the same way within my marriage. Uh, you know, I don't track a lot, so my wife definitely do. All right. So with that being the case, we both are in agreement that it just depends on each particular situation. But like I said earlier, I, I'm not very good at manage, mounting, uh, keeping track of all the numbers. I just know not to bounce any checks. So <laughs> that's the way I look at it. Now, like I was saying earlier um, about your personal finances and everything, another stat I wanted to bring up is something that uh, CNBC had put out this year. It said uh, about the, uh, being able to cover the $1,000 emergency in savings. That's a, a really, really very important thing that uh, we're coming up with. A lot of times we'll have, we'll extend ourselves on a lot of different things and are, put ourselves in a position where we don't have much money saved. And in a future episode, we're going to talk about how you can save money relatively easily where you don't really miss it a whole lot. So when these type of things do come up and pop up, we'll be able to fix them and you'll be able to pay for any type of repair or something and not really get too worked up or concerned about it. Now, there was one time, I do remember one couple that I knew that they had been married for a few years and they decided to buy a home. And what ended up happening was the, they bought a house in a nice neighborhood, but it pretty much depleted all of their resources. So they moved into the house, they bought it, and they were the term or the expression that you hear called house poor. Now, they had two cars, but they were not in great shape, and they just have to, they kept having to repair them all the time because they could not afford a car payment at that time just because they purchased a house that was a little too expensive for them. Now, in some, when you're looking for a mortgage or a house, they'll tell you what percentage of your income that, that it should be. And, you know, some people will say 29%, 30%. I've heard as high as 40%, depending on, on that's of your, your gross pay. And then I've heard some uh, comparisons based on your take-home pay. I would try probably do it more on your take-home pay because of the fact that in that situation, you know what you're bringing home every single uh, month, and then that way you'll know what to afford. What do you think about that, Mr. Barker? you think that you should base your, your mortgage payment on your gross pay or maybe do it on your take-home pay? Uh, definitely your take-home pay. <laughs> I agree with you on that. Now, do you think that what would be a percentage, do you think, of your take-home pay you think would be a good point of reference to uh, – get a mortgage on? Do you think it'd be 25%, 30%? What would, be, what would you think a good number would be? I, I would say anywhere between uh, 20 and 25%. I agree with you there. That's a good point. Now, some people will go over that number when they are doing their, their, uh, their, 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 they'll see the house that they want and it might go over that number a little bit. You just have to make a conscious decision and determine whether or not that's something that you can afford. So it will depend on whether or not you can afford that much. So you'll have to make that, that decision on your own. Now, another area I did want to talk about when it came to personal finance is a lot of people are not reading books as much as they should. You know, they'll say the average American reads anywhere between 4 to 12 books a year. I think the 12 is a very high number. I don't know too many people who are reading 12 books a year. And But if, if we based on that 12 books a year, that, that's basically about 1.7 hours a week. And it means that you're reading 90 hours a year, you're reading a book. Now, the advantage to reading some of these books is it will help you with your finances, especially if they're personal finance books or investing books. It'll help you out in advance just before you get married 
there's several very good ones that you could read. I'll give you some recommendations at some point here. But what I would recommend prior to getting married, I would recommend that both the the wife and the husband maybe read a couple books on personal finance so that you don't go into any stumbling blocks and there's no misunderstanding about what uh, finances can do to a marriage. I believe, and don't quote me on this 100%, but I believe that money is the, and finances is the second leading cause of divorce. So obviously we would want to make sure that we didn't uh, go get in a situation where we're, we're way, way uh, extended on our, our debts and our credits. And we get in the point where we're always arguing over money because that's just going to lead to tension in the household. And that's the one thing that we kind of don't want. So, we probably want to get that under control some before we go forward and make sure that we, we are both in agreement on how to live our lives pertaining to money, how we're going to manage it, who's going to be in charge of it. Some, some people are better than others with paying the bills, and some people are not very good at it. So I generally say it, the person that's really good at it, you probably want to have them do it, and then that way you don't get too distracted by anything the other person can just sort of go about living their lives and marriage is about trust so as long as you trust the person that you married there shouldn't be too many issues now each household like I said is different some people will you know divide their bills up accordingly based upon maybe who makes the most who pays what other people will you know sort of do it in a different way where one person will pay majority of the bills and the other person best maybe pay some small minor bills but cover all of the other expenses such as maybe you decide you want to eat out or go somewhere or travel or whatever, the other person might be in charge of that. There's no right or wrong answer to that. Obviously, we all do it a, a different, our own way. And I would just say to you, whatever you're doing, whatever is working for you, to go ahead and continue to do that. If it's not working for you, to try something different. But that's pretty much how it, it'll basically break down. Now, when it comes to personal finance, I recommend that people spend about 15 to 20 minutes a day just going over your personal finances, just seeing where you're at, how much you owe. Do you have a plan to pay down your bills if you do have any, any debt? If you're going to accumulate another bill or another debt, discuss it with your spouse. And it only takes about 15, 20 minutes a day. Now, to put that in perspective, how much TV do we watch a day on average? Well, the average American watches 2.8 hours of television each day. So if you cut down a little bit of your television watching and just focus a little bit on your personal finances and you do that every day, say right before you go to bed, that might help because that would alleviate the, some of the, the financial issues that you might have. The best thing that I would recommend is that people have a plan when it comes to dealing with their personal finances and how they're going to Attack, attack and pay down certain bills that are causing a little bit of strife or something in the household. So examples, if you have a very high interest rate on a credit card, my recommendation would probably be just to pay the one with the highest interest rate off um, first if you can. Some people pay the one with the smallest balance off first so that they can then take that money and apply it to another credit card if you have more than one. The best situation you should be is once you do have your credit cards paid off, try not to use them again. Now, that's easier said than done, obviously, because there's instances that pop up where you will have to use it. Now, one mistake that I used to make a lot of times is I would pay off some of my credit card debt and then I would get a, 
a rate where they send me something in the mail or something to say, oh, you can get 0% for 12 months or 24 months if you buy this, that, and the other. And when I was younger, that was one of the biggest mistakes I would make. I would always uh, take them up on those offers. And I'm with, my justification was, hey, I'm not paying any interest. So, I mean, you know, I'm fine. It's not really hurting or affecting me. And a majority of the things that I can't even think back to some of the things I've even purchased when I used that 0% interest on uh, different things. I, I, I totally, I can only think of one thing off the top of my head that I remember that I purchased. Now, Mr. Barkley, have you ever had a situation like that where you were sent stuff like that in the mail and then you, you took them up on their offer and charged it and had any regrets about it later? Uh, one time, and I decided not to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> and do you, do you remember, was it a big chunk of money or just a little bit? Or Well, it was a small amount of money, but I just uh, just knew that I, I should have knew better from the get-go. So I said, well, now on, I just continue to uh, just pay by cash. And that's a good way to do it. If you do have the cash, go ahead and pay for it. And if you don't have the cash, that means you ain't supposed to have it. So that's the best, the best way to probably do it. Now, honestly, that takes some time. When you're imagining you're starting off, there's going to be times where you're going to have to use uh, some type of credit, a line of credit to get certain things that you want. And that's totally understandable. But what we want you to do is kind of limit how much of that you will end up doing because it can really put you in an untenable situation to where some of that stuff can add up to so much that before you know it and you look around, you might owe five or $10,000 on something and then those teaser rates of 0% or 1% or 2% go away and you'll get the next credit card statement where it'll say 18%, 19%, 20%, some number like that. And you'll see that you're paying a lot of money in interest and it will be slowly uh, eroding away from that principle that you've, been playing, uh, that you've been paying on for say the last 12 months. So that's something to be really, really concerned about. And like I said earlier, we did mention how money can have an impact on relationships and how people will struggle in, in a marriage if their, their finances aren't correct or how, if they're not right. But the big thing is, if we both go into the, the marriage already having a plan on how we're going to uh, deal with our finances once we're in the marriage and both people are in agreement on it, the sky is the limit. You will see a lot of success that will come from that type of a situation. I, I think that one of the big, big problems that people will have is that when it comes to finances is that prior going into the marriage, neither they, they the topic wasn't even discussed. So you'll see both people have their own ideology on how we should do money or manage money or how what should happen. And then when they get into the marriage and they start to do those things, people start to realize that that person that they married isn't doing what it is that they wanted them to do with the money. So that's where it gets a little crazy. So one of the things we'll have to figure out is what is the best way that we can do this pertaining to, we have to come up with a plan on an agreement before we get started. So one plan on agreement we might want to consider is just talking about your, your money and your finances before you actually get married. I think if you do that, that will alleviate some of the problems that you will have going forward. One big issue for, for couples is, like I said, when that does happen, they don't generally have a plan to handle it. And it just leads to arguments and fights. And in some instances, it can lead to a divorce because some people can end up with a lot of uh, a heavy debt load. And that that puts obviously pressure that puts stress on a marriage. 
that puts stress on the individuals who have to deal with it and pay it. Uh, one horrible feeling that you might come across is having debt collectors call you asking you for money. That can be a very uh, difficult situation for people to deal with because it's you'll feel a level of guilt, which is a negative emotion. You'll feel a level of guilt, and that level of guilt will be, I know I owe this money, but I am kind of tired of these people calling me asking for it. When I get it, I'll pay them. And But that's, that's just part of the problem with you running up a, a large debt load. So our goal when we are getting our finances and everything together is just to suggest talking. It might even make a good sense to actually talk to some type of a financial planner or advisor before you get married. Even if you don't use them on a, a continual basis, at least uh, have some maybe one-on-one consultation with them. You could talk to a spiritual person, a spiritual advisor, maybe a pastor or someone in a church who's affiliated in that type of a field, uh, such as a financial planner or something, and just get some advice uh, from, your, from, the, from the church. You can also get some advice from friends and other family. And if you do that, you'll, you'll probably be in a much better situation in the marriage versus not talking about it at all. So since I said finance is probably the second leading cause of divorce, I believe communication is probably third. So if you communicate these things early, uh, at least at the point where you will get engaged and you're getting engaged and that gives you most people get engaged and usually get married a year later. So if that's the case during that period of time during that year, maybe it would be a good idea to discuss those things. What do you think about that? Mr. Barkley? Uh, yes, I understand. Without a doubt, I would, Definitely, you want to make sure that you uh, listen and, and understand everything within your marriage. All right. Have you, uh, this is a little quick question for you. Uh, has there ever been an issue that might have popped up that uh, you and your wife disagreed with pertaining to money that you can recall? Uh, yes. I, once a time, I bought something that she didn't approve of. So after her talking about it, I just kicked it back and, and got the money back. All right, so you, you realized that you wasn't supposed to have that, and you decided, okay, maybe this isn't a good idea. I should return it. I think all of us have done that at one point in time in our lives. You know, we bought something, and we say, oh, this wasn't a good idea, and then we end up returning it. But you and your wife obviously had a counseling about it, and you came up to the, came to the realization that this wasn't a good idea. Is that a, that sounds about right? Uh, yes. All right, all right. So we're about to get ready to close our, our podcast and um, I want to thank, I really do, I, I really want to thank Mr. Robert Barkley for giving us some of his time and being our very, very first guest. So everybody give Robert Barkley one more round of applause. <laughs> and, uh, thank you all. Right, Mr. Barkley, Mr. Barkley. Now, Mr. Barkley, what do you think of the podcast experience? Because you had said you wanted to, you know, you're considering doing one. And what do you think so far about how we're doing it and what's going on with it? Well, like I stated earlier to you, you know, you're a very excellent speaker. Uh, you uh, have a real good game plan, and I think sometimes you have to sit back and just make sure you have your everything planned and laid out for you. All right. So do you think this is something that you might want to consider doing in the future? Uh, I think so. Okay. Well, good. Well, what I can tell you, Mr. Barkley, is that if you do need any help with it or anything, like I said, I can coach you through the whole thing and – uh we can figure something out. You just come up with a decent topic or something that you feel passionate talking about, and we'll we'll try and put it together for you. Is that cool? Uh, that's cool. All right. I appreciate it. All right. Before we go, I just uh, wanted to cover really quickly, summarize what we talked about today. 
Today we talked about how money can impact relationships, how some people spend too much and some people don't spend enough, poor savings habits, how some people will purchase a lot of items and not concentrate on their savings, not putting themselves first. When you're saving money, you're sort of putting yourself first. We talked about how many people can't afford, you know, a thousand dollar repair, something that broke down in their house, a good percentage and about 45 percent with no savings at all. And the importance of having a savings account, the importance of communication between the two, between the two, the husband and the wife prior to the marriage, discussing what would be a good idea as far as how we're going to spend our money, how we're going to save our money, how are we going to pay the bills? What is our long term financial goals? And that maybe you should talk to an advisor, whether it be a spiritual advisor or a certified financial planner or somebody who you notice in the industry that might be able to help you. One time consultation, maybe two consultations probably won't cost you all that much. And it'll put you in a much better position when you are dealing with your finances. And with that being said, we're going to get ready to close out here. And one other thing I do want to let you know, the first two podcasts have just have already been dropped. I'm very uh, ecstatic about some of the numbers that I've got so far. I have done very little marketing pertaining to this podcast. I've done very little and we have done a little bit better than what I thought we would do. So what I would like for you to do is, uh, you know, the fan base out here, there's a message block that you can click on, especially if you're in Google Podcasts and Amazon, I mean, uh, Google Podcasts and Spotify. It's a link you can click on and you can leave me a message. And in that message, if you want, you can do it right from your phone. In that message, if you want to talk about something specific on another episode, just leave the topic there. And we'll, it could be used in a, potential, a future potential episode. If you also want to critique the podcast, please go right ahead. Like I said earlier, I do have thick skin. I can take it. So if you, have, uh, you don't like something that I said or you thought something was out of line or maybe inappropriate, or just let me know. We are very, I'm very flexible about stuff like that. But you can use that link to leave a message. And with that being said, I want to thank everyone for listening and supporting us in this very early stage. And see ya.